Hello, and welcome to the reintroduction of Off Canvas, a podcast by Capture Collective. In each episode, we confront and discuss our honest thoughts on the best and worst moments of current art news. Today, we'll be speaking about AI as a way of affronting the current debate of technology, friend or foe. Joined by a special guest, Maya and I will consider the implications AI-generated art has for the creative process and whether we can actually call this art or not. I'm Maya. I'm Rosie. And I'm Moby. Robbie's our special guest. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to help us today um, because we're going to be discussing AI art and as art history students, the rest of us are mostly unfamiliar with AI art and how computers work. So Robbie (laughs) is going to start us off with a little explanation of AI art. So AI art, at least to my understanding, is basically art that's generated by AI, which the best way to explain it is that it takes a lot of images and art pieces and creates associations for the art pieces within an algorithm and then generates art based on the like knowledge base it has. So examples of like DALI, those kind of algorithms, they just have a really large data set of like millions and millions of images and pieces and it uses like neural nets which are like it creates associations and uses those to generate the art is the best way to explain it i think that was pretty that was pretty clear it's recently been in the news a lot um because of um a art competition at the colorado state fair where it was a digital art competition and an ai generated work by a man called jason allen who essentially entered in a prompt to one of these AI servers called Midjourney and then submitted the artwork that it gave him. Um, he won a prize and it's been very controversial in the art world. So we wanted to talk about it today. The image is actually really interesting. It's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of distorted. And actually when you read about the, the whole thing with Jason Allen, um, he didn't even pretend that it that he made it himself. He titled the work, I think, well, the title of the AI painting, I guess, via Midjourney. Title of the painting itself, by the way, is in in French, excuse my horrible accent, Theatre d'Opera Spatiale. That was really good French. Um, <laughs> and so it's been kind of described as like, it almost looks a little bit like Game of Thrones. It's definitely futuristic science fiction fantasy world there's figures in kind of big robes standing in front of this like void um or window that looks like it could be a window into like another world or um another space and they're in this kind of dimly lit room that has all these designs and patterns along the back wall it's pretty cool it's it's cool it's interesting though because whenever you look closely like nothing is really a pattern. Our eye sees yeah. a pattern from far away, but when you look closely, it's really distorted. Like which is the thing with like yeah. most AR. We were playing with it and typing all these prompts in, and it was interesting because if you type in, for instance, the style of an artist like Hieronymus Bosch, <laughs> it comes with it comes up with things that when you look at them from far away, it looks like a Hieronymus Bosch painting, but close up, it lacks this specificity. I think particularly in figures and faces, mm-hmm. which kind of like marks a difference and I think there's a debate between whether that shows like a lack of quality in AI art 
like in, in the art that it produces, or if that's another aspect of AI art that makes it unique and makes it an, its own art form. You know what I mean? One thing that's kind of interesting is um, Robbie, I think, mentioned uh, this, one of the AI, soft, AI, AI softwares that people are using to create art is called Dolly. Um, I actually think it's called Dolly 2 now. And um, they came up with a name based off of the movie WALL-E, but also the artist Salvador Dali. So there was apparently some kind of intention that, that it be used for art. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, futuristic art, I guess, is the mm-hmm. implication because of the Wally thing. But um, but the fact that they included an artist's name when they were naming mm-hmm. it um, does kind of imply that yeah. they expected it be used for art or hoped it would be, which is really interesting. Yeah. I mean, the Dali 2, the way it works is quite interesting because the way it generates art is from, like, text prompts, but it uses two, like, forms to go from the text prompt to get to images. So it maps text, like, wherever you put into it. So say, like, a chicken, you put into it, it has a layer that takes it from what uh, the word chicken means to a picture of a chicken. Mm-hmm. And then how it generates the art is it uses diffusion. So it's like... The way I it was explained to me was like if you have a Rubik's cube and then you shuffle it about until you have uh, an unsolved Rubik's cube and you want to solve it but you don't remember how you undid it you're just doing a lot of random things until it resembles a Rubik's cube again and so it's doing that same thing but with pixels mm-hmm. it's just like moving around until it resembles a chicken again Ooh. and I think that's a lot why you get a lot of the like distorted when you look close to it because it's not actually drawing a chicken it's kind of like molding an image into what would look like a chicken to it. That's so interesting. That's really interesting. Especially, I feel like one of the pieces we saw when we were doing our research for this, there was one piece that I remember really seeing where I was like, that could be painted by a person. And I could not tell the difference. And it's this one that I'm looking at now. The prompt was, the universe with a black hole in the style of a Bauhaus painting. And I think that the person who submitted it into mid-journey Think their name was Andreas Strandmog and it literally looks like about like it looks like it was painted by hand you there are brush strokes mm-hmm. um but I think it's interesting because it's not really I mean Bauhaus painting isn't necessarily the most figurative style of painting and um a black hole isn't necessarily something that like I mean we have pictures of them but it's not like a chicken I mean, it was like, quite abstract. Yeah, it yeah. is. It is Well, it's because it's an abstract like, yeah. art style. Yeah. But I think that it is interesting that it works really well for that. But when you put in something like a chicken in the style of Hieronymus Bosch, um, it doesn't work that well. And it is all distorted. It's just interesting mm-hmm. to see how it, how it kind of interprets the pixels and, and which things that can interpret well and which things it can't. Yeah. Because you'd assume it'd be the other way around, right? Like, with AI and with computers and everything they know, you'd assume that it'd all be kind of straightforward. Like, yeah. you have a picture of a chicken, they can recognize a chicken, and they show you a chicken. And they can, like, exactly. change that chicken to be in a specific art style. Mm-hmm. But I guess the fact that it has to be original and the fact that it's taking yeah. so much data into account. Do you know if Dolly is the only one that works this way, or if it's, like... Well, I mean, a lot of them are text-prompted, so I assume yeah. most of them would be doing similar... Yeah. Yeah. I think the the specific like 
what Arvin would use is the kind of thing would differ per system, but I think it would be similar, like a diffusion type mm-hmm. thing. Because I know ones that mimic brush strokes, brush, brush strokes, I don't, I assume, would do, we mimic them in the same way. It was just the way that it, the, mm-hmm. the way that it decides where it should put a pixel would probably be slightly different. Mm-hmm. But. Did we talk at all about how <laughs> it chooses which images um, to kind of gather its data from? The best way to think of it is like, if you're teaching a child, so if you have like a child who has never seen a tree, you say that's a tree, and then like show it an oak tree, and then you show it a birch tree and, and say what's that, it's gonna have no idea what that is. Mm-hmm. But it's that same process of with uh, learning algorithms that you show it a lot of trees and eventually it builds an idea of what a tree is to it. And then when you say draw a tree, it uses what it remembers as a tree and then build something that would mim- that he think as a tree as well yeah. so if, if it's that kind of like it's decision what images is just built on what data it has to associate that word to the data is the data inputted into the software by humans or does it, it gather it from the inner like how does it get that data that's I think it depends. Yeah, it's dependent. I was reading about one where, well, there are a lot of artists who use AI, but who, like, create their own code yeah. for the AI by feeding it specific images or specific, I don't know, code, I don't know. But, <laughs> um, yeah, and then, so that's the input. And then at the output, they, another, I think this article I was reading was talking about how another level of the art, that the artistry that is AI art, is selecting images and judging um, judging the images that come out of it and, yeah, selecting an input. Kind of why I bring this up is one of the thing that's, things that's been quite controversial um, with AI art is images that are used to generate the new images. Um, like, as we've been saying, you can plug in someone's name, you can plug in an artist's name, and it will draw from their images. And it even draws from images from, like, smaller artists, contemporary artists, um, there's a whole service now where you can find out if your art has been used in um, training in AI. Um, and that brings up a lot of questions about kind of, I guess, plagiarism and um, like creative property. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I feel it does feel different saying like, show me something in the style of Hieronymus Bosch, because obviously Hieronymus Bosch is not producing art anymore. But if you were to maybe try and plug in, like, a contemporary artist's name. Make a Banksy Yeah, painting. make a Banksy painting. Um, people's, I read recently, people's visual literacy is, like, all of our visual literacy is not good. <laughs> I think it said something, like, six in a poll of, like, 600 people, um, 80% of respondents were unable to recognize a, an AI-generated photograph, and 60% failed to, rec- to identify an AI-generated artwork. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, were they told, were they asked, prompted, like, is this AI or is this made by a human? Or was it, or were they like, what's wrong with this? <laughs> so that brings up a really interesting question that if, if your art is used in AI to train an AI server and then your art is used to create somebody else's art through the server mm-hmm. um, and they make money off of that, whose intellectual, whose intellectual property, property mm-hmm. whose creative property is that? And... Mm-hmm. Like, what can really be done about it? Yeah. Do you know, is there anything, like, can you say that you don't want, like, can you determine 
or like make a statement that you don't want your art to be included in training I think AI servers or is it is that possible is that po- yeah I, is that, I don't know, know if that would be possible well it's because it depends on where you get the data sets right. from because there, there are like companies that specialize in like providing data for uh, training uh, training algorithms because uh, especially like supervised algorithms the data needs to be well labeled and quite clean to like for it to be able to build an association because you know the pictures where it's like is this a dog or a donut mm-hmm. and it's like <laughs> or like the robot are you a robot yeah kind of thing tests. those are like it, it kind of shows why if it's not clean data it's quite difficult for to train an algorithm because if you can't tell mm-hmm. then how's because you're it'll kind of teach a computer to act like a human mm-hmm. i don't think that's an easy way to be like i don't want my work to be in a data set especially if your work is online because a lot of like homegrown will probably use just a Google search, That's a Google image was, search, and yeah. just pull a bunch of images and try use those. So I don't think there's any easy way to stop it. But I think as we move forward into a more technical world and where machine learning and AI is a lot more commonplace, mm-hmm. you're going to see a lot of spin-offs into, like, as you were saying, the intellectual pro- property argument and, like, laws about it because there's not really mm-hmm. that, that many laws because it's not that big of thing. I mean, yeah, it's a yeah. thing. In, I mean internet, intellectual property is already so highly cont- it, like it's so difficult to define yeah. mm-hmm. and claim already because of the internet and because of the way information is spread yeah. it's so new that I think even you know now almost every image that is produced is influenced by another image that already exists so i guess it's kind of hard to say like you know who owns like who owns this who has a right to this or does does anybody have a right Mm -hmm. over something that they create and put into the world you know what i mean yeah i mean there's already i just wrote a content piece about um, (laughs) an intellectual property lawsuit that just made it to the supreme court um about an andy warhol print of prince that he based on a photograph taken by a photographer family foundation i can't remember their exact like title um without the photographer knowing and bought it for like a huge sum of money to put on their cover um for like a posthumous Mm. magazine release um and she sued them for use of her intellectual property without compensation and it has made it all the way to supreme court and um the last thing i read is that she's probably going to win Because if she doesn't win, that um, changes a lot for, like, that can start having an impact on, like, every sphere of our kind of cultural um, production, Mm -hmm. like Hollywood, um, because then it can affect, like, movie adaptations and book adaptations. That's so true. It, it, yeah, cultural property gets very complicated, (laughs) but... um, it's really interesting and and it is something that like is already happening and has ha- been happening in art for a while um with art that um like art similar to Andy Warhol's that kind of repurposes other people's mm-hmm. work yeah I mean I was just saying well before we started recording <laughs> but there's um there are a lot of artists who feed 
images, who can feed images into AI to get other images out of it. So um, there's this artist called Anna Riddler who took stills from um, this 1925 film of Edgar Allan Poe's story titled The Fall of the House of Usher. And she made all these ink drawings of a bunch of these still frames that she took from the movie and that she fed the ink drawings into a generative model. Um, so then she got all these AI images that came from the ink drawings that she made, which came from the film stills of Edgar Allan Poe's short story. <laughs> um, and those she arranged into um, like a stop motion short film, which is kind of crazy the amount of references <laughs> are in this one work of art but I mean I wouldn't call that int intellectual yeah. like that I don't know because yeah. I guess I don't know maybe some people would call that intellectual theft well, so I but I believe that that like according to the Supreme Court would not have been intellectual no. property theft because you have to have changed it in some way and basically what um, yeah. the photographer was arguing is that Andy Warhol didn't change it enough um like, to make it not mm -hmm. recognizably hers. Um, yeah. But it, it, is, it is such a gray area, and a lot of the articles about this um, court case were really interesting because, obviously, the Supreme Court has been in the news a lot lately. <laughs> um, and the fact that they're now ruling on this case that, like, essentially asks them to decide whether or not Andy Warhol changed this photograph enough, in their opinion. Mm -hmm. Like, essentially ask them to, to like, rule on whether or not it's his art or not. Um, it's just, like, very interesting because a lot of people would argue that it is opinion. Um, like, there's not really a lot of, like, legal standing yeah. <laughs> um, for them to base it on. And... Um, so they were tying a lot of the articles I was reading was tie, were tying that in with um, the overturning of Roe v. Wade and like the case can be made that again you are ruling on like other people's work based on your own opinion. <laughs> um, but anyways, that's off topic. Um, but yeah, it it is really interesting because it is like when it comes down to it, who decides. Like and why and why do they get to why do the Supreme Court justices of the U.S. get to decide whether Andy Warhol changed um, this photographer's art enough? And then when if they decide that he plagiarized or it's not his work, then what happens to the work itself? Yeah, you know, like does it lose value? Probably, definitely, but <laughs> like, what's the practical usage of it afterwards? Yeah, that's a good point. apply it to any time. And that's the same thing with AI, right? So, like, once someone has made something that wasn't really their own source material, like, when it becomes their own and they give it into fairs such as Jason Allen, like, mm -hmm. when does it become yours? Because it's a machine making yeah. it. And yeah. it's not yourself changing it enough. Like, you are physically not making the changes to the images, so is that even the same kind of discussion, you know? Yeah. Like, it's all through yeah. a machine. There's no personal... Would there be personal creativity in it? I think we were talking a little like, bit about, like, the artists that you mentioned, but also the artists that, um, I, I guess, I don't know if code is the right word, but create mm -hmm. their own AI servers mm -hmm. and and um, feed them, like, a tailored kind of mm -hmm. image. 
um, would be different than somebody just plugging something into Dolly yeah. or Mid Journey and it creating something and then saying, I made art. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, you can argue that if you say, like, if the intention is for it to be art, then it's art. But, um, but I think that, like, once you've kind of made it your own, once you're mm-hmm. not just using a server that somebody else has fed with their own images or however they feed them. Um, we talked about another artist um, who would feed... They, he would feed his um, AI, like, oil painting prompts, and then he would take those oil paintings that the AI made and he would use them as sketches to create his own oil paintings mm-hmm. by hand, um, which... I mean, at that point, like, it definitely is his own art, I would say. Um, but I think once you kind of are, are I guess, imbuing it with your own personal, like, yeah. touch, mm-hmm. I feel like that changes it. But then I, but then you can argue that the, um, I can bring it back to the, um, the language mm-hmm. thing, then you can argue that by feeding it a prompt that is your personal touch yeah that's the thing yeah and by learning how to because um one thing that a lot of the things we were reading was we're talking about was that it's kind of hard to really get what you specifically want Mm -hmm. out of one of these um servers unless you like really know how to talk to it um and what to put into the um like text box and so if you know how to speak to it enough to get something specific that is what you want, then I don't know if that is just mm-hmm. like just as much creating art as feeding it a specific set of images. Yeah, because um, still putting in the effort yeah. to think of the words and putting them together and everything. And like a lot, it takes a lot of turns. Generally, is what people yeah. were saying to like get a specific and time, thing, and time, and yeah. effort. <laughs> so it could be the same. I wanted to ask. Robbie, actually. (laughs) (laughs) To what extent do you think that, like, physical coding can be art? Like, I know that maybe coding an AI that creates art, I feel like I would call that art. But what about, like, coding something that's very creative, like... As in the code itself, or what you generally... Creating the code. Creating the code for something creative. Like, for instance, okay, I remember actually (laughs) you telling me about this um, code that you wrote for an A, a bot, right? That would write, that would write, that would like invent tweets for people. So you'd feed it someone else's tweets. And then it would come up with more tweets, which is kind of a similar <laughs> concept. So yes. you made an AI. You yeah, tweets. so <laughs> made is strong. So it was, for, it was what? It was for, yeah. uh, comp- it was for like a competition. Codathon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, made a bot that you would give it a Twitter account and based on the tweets on that account, it would tweet like them. It wasn't very good because there wasn't. It's based on how many tweets you have. So yeah. To ideally to train like a like system. So for us, it was natural language processing. So you're trying to create sentences from words. Right. You need like well, you need millions of data set pieces just to teach it how to write sentences, how like grammar oh, yeah. and stuff works. But then to make it tweet like someone, we don't. From someone we'd only have like maybe a thousand tweets on like a big account, we'd have like a couple thousand tweets and it would get like semi close. But I wouldn't really call that personally 
artistic. artistic from on my perspective or like because I didn't write the I didn't write the training model for the bot I wrote I wrote the bot itself and I used the training model because for it, to train a model would have taken longer than the time I had for it yeah <laughs> so it, for me it, it was kind of like the example if I was to bring it back to uh, art it would be like me deciding what kind of art I wanted to make and then using Dali to but using the right inputs to Dali to give it the art style I wanted to come out kind of thing would be so I think the code I writing code itself I think every like program has a different style and you can tell who wrote sub code if you know that's really interesting i didn't know that well it's like if you write if you write a yeah. story like but the, yeah but just way, if you read the code well if i if i knew like if i had seen someone code for long enough yeah. i'd kind of understand like their habits and yeah how like i have my own personal habits when yeah. i write codes and kind of thing so i never thought about that like i feel like yeah. i've always thought of i feel like people who don't know how to code <laughs> think yeah. of code as something that's like you follow very rules yeah. like you can't just like make it up as you go i don't know i mean there are sets of rules but it's like yeah yeah how you, how everything you, has yeah. rules yeah they're like writing style yeah yeah. Like, yeah that's really interesting like, though i feel like yeah. so I, I mean i guess you could you could you could argue that it's artistic but I personally wouldn't define as artistic myself I was just saying it's just the style I work yeah. in yeah I guess it's I mean some people think that anything creative is artistic mm-hmm. coding is definitely creative <laughs> I guess <laughs> when I guess when yeah. you're at that level like when you're on like the lego mindstorm level <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but so is that the main difference between the different kinds of AI art making sites so just the kind of coding style I th- thing? I think the difference would probably be the way they've trained okay. their bots. I mean, because there's like a million and one different ways you can mm-hmm. train. Like there's a million and one different ways you can learn. So if, 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 I don't know, I'm not an artist, but when you, I assume, are becoming an artist, you kind of like learn mm-hmm. from other artists and history and a bunch of like... Different sources. Yeah, different yeah. sources. So, and then your art style is specific to you, but also influenced by all the sources, source material that you have. And mm-hmm. I was, I'd assume it would be similar for the bots, is that it will be based on the material it's trained with, how it uses the material, mm-hmm. how it trains itself, and then that will decide how the outputs would be for mm-hmm. it. But so because they're each on the internet, would they all have access to the same images? that are on Google, that are on everything? Like, apart from training them and the way that they learn if, to recognize things. If the data set that they used were from just Google image searches, mm-hmm. then they could all theoretically have the same data set that they trained from. But I think even if you gave all of them the same data set, the way that they would be implemented would be slightly different in that on, a diff- on, a, on the same prompt for all of them, you'd get a different output, even if you gave them the same data set the articles I was reading was talking about um, how each different um, server kind of creates something that looks a little bit different. So You mean like between Dolly and my Yeah, so they said that Dolly um, is thought to excel at realistic images and photographs and mid-journey is supposed to have a more kind of artistic style um, that users have found particularly good for making fantasy, sci-fi, and horror-themed images. And then there's um, a few other ones 
um, one called Stable Diffusion, which is, um, it's, it says it's an open source alternative. I don't, maybe Robbie <laughs> can tell us what that means. And um, another one called Crayon, spelled C-R-A-I-Y-O-N. That's so um, Which is kind of like a lower <laughs> quality ones, which they say are mostly used for making memes. <laughs> um, oh my gosh, I would love to which, see an AI meme. That's yeah. really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do each kind of have their own, at least according to, to this author. Um, this is a Financial Times article by um, someone called Tom Faber, in case anyone wants to read it. Um, but at least according to Tom Faber, they do have their own kind of like specializations. Maya's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> making AI memes. <laughs> Like, big tech companies are apparently also working on their own AI bots. Google's mm-hmm. making one. Meta's making one. Microsoft is making yeah, one. Yeah, it's becoming super um, commercialized, I think. Which, yeah. We were talking about, like, some company. I think you were talking about some company that was being founded to monitor what was being fed into AI. Yeah. Is that what you're talking I about? I can't remember what it's called, but there is a company that is that exists apparently um to you can kind of, it i think it's essentially called something like um check my art or something and it's to make sure your art or to find out if your art is being fed into um being used to train ai but there's also all these other companies springing up around other companies that are popping up um I think there's one, at least one, where you can pay people to write the prompts for yeah. you. You can like, tell them what you want to see, and then you can pay people to write the prompts for you because, um, like we were saying, it doesn't really speak like a human yeah. yet. And then they can um, make images for like can, your website yeah, or make, your board game. Make like mm-hmm. exactly what you want Yeah. Um, without you having to go through all of the steps of like plugging in 25 different things to get like what you see in your head. Um, there was also, was, um, yeah, what you're, like definitely commercializing it a little bit. Yeah. There was also this AI work of art, which kind of, I would call it an AI painting, <laughs> <laughs> um, called Portrait of Edmund Bellamy, which sold, um, which was sold by Christie's for $432,000, American dollars. $432,500. And it's interesting, actually, when you look at it, it's like one of these typically, characteristically AI images with the super blurred face. And it's interesting that that is what was worth so much money and not something that was made to look like something made by a human, you know? But then how would you sell it? Yeah, like, do you know how it how? Um, We were actually talking about this in our original meeting. Like, yeah. If it was sold as, like... Um, Okay. Online thing, well, or yeah. do they print it, it was, out and hand it to you? Um, <laughs> basically, how does it They were artists who fed thousands of portraits into an, al- an algorithm and taught it the aesthetics of the artwork oh, yeah. that they wanted it to make. Of past examples mm. of portraiture. Robbie's um, looking at it right now, and there's like a signature in the corner, but it's. Is it the AI? Oh. It's oh my god, that's so equation. cool. It's a mid max equation, so it's like. Oh. Yeah, what is <laughs> <that>? <laughs> I was so, just going to say, or, do you, are you, are you, is it just the AI's signature? No, it's, kind of, it so it's going to be, I, I probably... It has lots of brackets. <laughs> but oh, it looks like, it's like finding, so 
Because you're creating associations, you have like, I don't know how much stats I want to go, we want to go into here. <laughs> Not that many. <laughs> but it's like, uh, it's like a linear regression like thing, which just has, it's like the line of best fit. So mm-hmm. it's, it's like, it's so probably like something that's figured out the line of best fit between all the art, like all the input data. And then, and that's like what they would use to calculate it probably. Um, I just, I was playing around with AI art a while ago and the signature thing reminds me of this, but, um, I put in, I think I put in like, I was at works and I work at a uh, cashmere store. So I put in tartan Tartan Highland cow. And then I think I said like impressionist painting. Um, it is not very good. It's not very impressionist, but the thing that I thought was really weird about it and the reason I saved it is that it gave it a signature, like in the corner, like an mm, artist's really? signature. Is it, is it similar it's to not, the one that It's illegible and it's not an equation. Oh. It's just like a fake signature. Um, because I wasn't like, I'm guessing that the <laughs> equation that, um, was on that, like yeah. was maybe the equation that the people used yeah, probably in something. like, True. So this was just like what the computer put this on. This kind of looks like a mathematical, um, like um, oh. derivative. It does look a little it's mathematical. Integral. <laughs> it's not letters or numbers or. And I just thought like the signing of the work by mm-hmm. the computer is really interesting. Because um, then it means that it's made by the computer. Yeah, yeah. Then it's like the computer it is claiming own. it. That's yeah. so. That's so true. Which Ooh. is really interesting. Um, so if. What if you put your signature on top of that? Like, if you tried to sell that as your own, I don't know. That's really interesting. But how would you put your signature on top of that? I don't know. I was just going to say, like, you would just put your signature on top of that. No, no, not edit it. Well, because you're editing it, then then is it yours? Like, Like, that's what you're saying if you're editing it. How much editing do you think it'll take before you can claim it as yours? Like, what's the point of... That's the thing that there yeah. isn't yeah. one. That's yeah. Because we don't even know if it's yours when you just plug in. Because some the, people, yeah. Like, I mean, when it comes to art, who was the. What's his name? The urinal Marcel guy. Duchamp. Marcel Duchamp. So, do you know about. So, He's this artist. Um, he was a Dada artist, which was this movement which was like all about against the traditional art forms. And he, he took, essentially took a urinal off of a wall. He turned it upside down. He put it on a pedestal. Uh, he sorry. signed it with. Not um, even his own he name. He wrote R, like R dot Mutt, M-U-T-T. And I think he put a date on it, but I'm not 100% sure. And he called it, he put a label on it. He said, this is called Fountain, and it is in museums all over the world. <laughs> and it is super, super famous. I mean, people have been angry um, about it since he, yeah. he started exhibiting yeah. it. But, like, it's, you know, and he turned it upside down. Like, that's yeah. pretty much the only great thing that he did with it. And a lot of... Um, the things that at least I've been reading, I'm sure mm-hmm. you guys have also come across like this comparison, but a lot of people have been compare, comparing AR, AI art to that, to Andy Warhol, and also to the invention of photography. Yeah. Because when photography was invented, um, I can't remember who it was. I feel like it might have been Baudelaire. Oh, yeah, it was Baudelaire. Basically said that um, like photography was the worst thing to ever happen to art. It was going to be the death of art. Um, you know what? We can compare that to the Jason Allen quote <laughs> at the end of this article about it. At the end of this interview that the New York Times did with Jason Allen, it just closes. Maybe we can close with the same <laughs> quote. He goes, this isn't going to stop, Mr. Allen said. Art is dead, dude. It's over. AI won. Humans lost. It's an crazy. I don't... <laughs> Because I don't, I would not argue. Okay, I, found I don't quote. agree with that. I would not I argue. With, 
or I would not agree with Baudelaire that photography was art's most mortal enemy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe when it like first, I, there was fear when it first <laughs> was invented that it was going to like destroy painting, change art forever and it did change art forever but I don't think it changed art forever in a negative way I think it was that, a tool yeah it was a tool and just like this like hmm. and you put it that way and hmm. photography has been used <laughs> to like create so many new interesting kinds of art like I think I would say that the invention of photography was a pretty positive thing for <laughs> um for art in general I mean like it's hard to say to put a positive or a negative stamp mm-hmm. on anything but um, like I don't think that Baudelaire was right I don't think that Jason Allen was right either mm-hmm. like, well, I, I don't think that AI kills art, kills art. art. I, don't I don't think, think it interferes yeah. with art in a negative way at all I think like I like when people describe it as a tool for artists or for people who want to make art it's you know I think I can definitely see the fear like this thing is kind of at, it's like it's in it's like infancy and it's already, people already can't tell what has been made by AI and what hasn't. And so I can see the fear that, like, as it develops, as it gets better, maybe it will stop being as blurry, like, and we will stop being able to tell. And I can, I can see the fear behind that. Like, I still appreciate art when it's made by humans by hand, but I think that it isn't necessarily, like... The enemy. The enemy, either. <laughs> Yeah, like, I think it can be a complicated new tool in the art world without being, like, completely demonized. Thanks for tuning in to Off Canvas. We'll close with a special thank you to our guest speaker, Robbie, and to Capture Collective's Rosie and Maya, as well as a reminder to keep an eye out on our social media for the release of our next episodes. In the meantime, if you would like to get in touch about the podcast, its themes, or suggest us potential topics, shoot us a message either on Instagram, Facebook, or on our Contact Us feature on www.capturecollective.uk.cargo.site. Bye! Bye. Thank you!